0: Section 19 of The Bookman, March 1921, by Various. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chris Pyle. The Bookman, March 1921, by Various. Section 19 Old Love and New Poetry, or Vice Versa by floyd dell there is a very challenging prefatory note to this new book of poems by mr Untermeyer. it is called a note on the poetry of love and its thesis is that the poets of the eighteenth and nineteenth centuries did not know how to write about love they wrote about it a great deal to be sure they wrote about hardly anything else but they were clumsy and ignorant in their treatment of love make his indictment as inclusive as possible mr Untermeyer specifically names three poets who represent almost the whole range of the love poetry of these two centuries pope tennyson and swinburne and he says none of these poets knew or to be more accurate knew now to express what love between the sexes really meant not very many years ago an attack of this kind upon the major deities of english poetry "'would have been punished by those whose function it is "'to guard the sacred precincts of literature "'from impious marauders. "'Mr. Untermeyer would have been excommunicated "'from all God-fearing literary circles. "'But the times, it seems, have changed. "'There was no one left, except Harry Kemp, "'to do reverence to the memory of Pope. "'A young poet can say what he likes about Tennyson with impunity. "'And even Swinburne. "'Swinburne of the perpetual raptures and roses.' is relegated into the company of Edward Bach, late of the Ladies' Home Journal, as one who knew nothing about women. Far be it from me to rise in their defense. It was so sober a critic as Matthew Arnold, I believe, who said that the trouble with the poets of his century was that they did not know enough. And since it was love that they almost exclusively wrote about, he may very well have been anticipating Mr. Untermeyer's opinion that they did not know enough about women. I think myself this is profoundly true, but I would not have ventured to say so in print if Mr. Untermeyer had not already done so and proved that one could do it and yet live. But I have, even if Mr. Untermeyer has not, a sentiment of reverence, and I would not subscribe to these disrespectful opinions about the great ones without the excuse of a violent personal emotion on the subject. If Shelley had sold you some bad mining stock, "'you would feel at liberty to criticize his economic views. "'Well, that is the way I feel about the poets. "'They have deceived and misled me, "'betrayed my youthful confidence and trust. "'In short, cheated me. "'They pretended to know something about love. "'And now I know that all their expert lore was bogus, "'and I am angry at them. "'Moreover, I suspect that the whole of the younger generation "'must feel somewhat the same way about them. "'Or Mr. Untermeyer's preface would not have been received with such calmness. But above all, I suspect that this same personal grudge, rather than any coldly critical process, is the origin of Mr. Untermyer's own present views. My suspicion is confirmed by a glance at Mr. Untermyer's earliest book of poems, now ten years old. First Love, it is called. As a book of poems, it is pretty bad. But I have no intention of bringing up his youthful technical blunders against him now it is as a record of sentimental attitudes that the volume interests me i quote only one stanza with apologies to everyone concerned it hurts me just as much as it does them my soul is sick of roses of lilies proud and pale in scented garden closes the old-time beauties fall and though the spell reposes on every flower that grows my soul is sick of roses since she has scorned the rose it may seem unjust to blame Pope and Tennyson and Swinburne for a stanza like that, but what else can you blame? Not New York City, in which Mr. Untermeyer was born and reared, nor the Subway, nor the Hearst Papers, nor any other unfortunate environmental influences to which this young poet was subjected. Certainly not the young woman, whoever she was, who inspired this lyric outburst. I do not mean to suggest that Mr. Untermeyer was peculiarly susceptible to such influences nor alone in reproducing them. We are all doing it. How else could a young man learn about love except by reading the poets? How else indeed except by opening his eyes and looking at the girl he was interested in, and seeing what she was like, and saying what he felt about the real she, who was, one may safely surmise, utterly unlike the Chloe's and Mauds and Faustines of English poesy. Well, Mr Untermeyer has been opening his eyes of late and has been saying what he thinks of the female of the species. Sometimes it is an angry protest against her spiritual demands. Sometimes a tribute of childlike gratitude to her bodily sweetness. Sometimes a piece of ironic mockery at their failure to make two selfish wishes meet in one perfection. Or again it is such a momentary amused wonder as this. Before the prim old mirror that stands so stiffly there, with Puritan precision you rearrange your hair. My pretty proper darling with not one hair amiss who turns like some calm duty, one powdered cheek to kiss? Are you the same wild creature I held last night and found, sleeping upon my shoulder, with all her hair unbound? But always it is a real emotion that is dealt with, always a reflection of experience that can recognizably be found, if not in the pages of Palgrave's Golden Treasury, at least in the life of any mortal lover. And it is so much more interesting. No wonder Mr. Untermyer, is angry at Pope and Tennyson and Swinburne, who, for a time, by their strange and ethereal and traditional notions, succeeded in blurring for him the outlines of this ever interesting reality. The New Adam, by Lewis Untermeyer Harcourt Brace and Company. End of section 19. Recording by Chris Pyle.